Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world, of Minneapolis, of the Twin Cities, of、um, Elliot Park neighborhood. Where? Oh, well, we don't need to get into that. Hello, everyone. It's me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. How are you? Happy second Monday of January 2020. And、uh, I do need to tell you, like right off the bat, and remind you, this show is taped. Unfortunately, I am taping this on January sixth, a week before this show airs. And the only reason I'm mentioning that right now at this moment is because we aren't even a week in to 2020, and all of the crap has hit the fan in a variety of ways. And so, I don't know about you,、um, but you know, my ear and eyes are glued to screens to see what is going on in the world, what's going on relatively to our country and other countries.、Um, and if you're hearing frustration in my voice, it's because it does exist. And I just, at the outset of the show, I wanted to acknowledge that,、um, and I wanted to just let you know I care about you. I do. I care about all of you greatly who are listening right now, and I want to assure you. Okay, we will get through this. We will. We we are good people. I'll come back to this at the end of the show, but I needed to just say it right off the top because <clears throat> there is、um, anxiety I'm having,、um, but I also that tempered that anxiety by the knowledge and knowing that people are good, that Americans are good people, that we are resilient people, that we have the ability to get through a lot of difficult times. We do. We have done that in the past, and I believe that we will be able to continue to do that. But I just need to acknowledge that off the top. Sorry, there you go. Okay, well, welcome to Ellie Two Point Zero Radio,、um, and you know, notwithstanding the current affairs, we have a really, really good show,、um, including、uh, a wonderful interview with、um, a woman named Jessica Greb out of Orchestrating Good. Um, from Racine, Wisconsin. It's a brand new nonprofit. They're doing. They're they're helping other nonprofits to get the word out about good deeds that nonprofits are doing and individual humans are doing. You will like this show. Okay, you'll like that interview a lot. But first, because I always start this show out with、um, highlighting an idealist,、um, either contemporary or historical. First, let me start with a young idealist by the name of Rosalie Fish. She is a college, presently a college freshman at Iowa Central Community College in Fort Dodge, Iowa. I know exactly where that is. Remember, I am from Iowa. She's also a college athlete. Particularly, she is a runner. And to tell this story, I need to give credit to、um, a piece on、uh, the WBUR National Public Radio、uh, website, a piece by、um, Eilis O'Neill. Uh, that that piece is dated January three, twenty twenty, as well as a piece in the Seattle Times by a man named Dave Trimmer.、Uh, that piece by Dave was Janu- June first, twenty nineteen. I want to make sure that they get credit here. I've also done some of my own research on the internet about、uh, Rosalie Fish, but much of this is coming from those two pieces. First of all, I want you to picture in your mind、uh, a young woman who seems to be aerodynamically aerody- built. Uh, to run, she has tight facial features, long legs, great endurance, 
And boy, I'll tell you, she just looks like a runner. She is an enrolled member of the Cowlitz tribe in southeast Washington state. So Rosalie is Native American. As a middle, middle school student, um, uh, she went to public school and uh, she joined that public school's running team. She did that in middle school um, in part to stay in shape and help build a group of friends. But in 2015, so we're talking five years ago now, she transferred to the Muckleshoot Tribal High School. Muckleshoot. It's on a reservation south of Seattle. And unfortunately, Muckleshoot High uh, didn't have much of a track team. It had some people doing field like shot put or um, hurdles, or excuse me, or high jump, but it did not have any runners. And it turned out that Rosalie was the only runner on the Muckleshoot High School track team. This meant that she largely had to be her own coach and do her own workouts. Eventually, she got a coach, but there's a story here about this. This is the story reason I'm telling you this. And Rosalie working by herself, it worked because she became quite the runner. So much so that by her junior year when she was um, running, by the end of her junior year, she was Washington State's champion in the two-mile run. Now think about that, okay? A young woman with not many resources, not a whole lot of support, builds herself up enough to win the state two-mile run in Washington State. That is a wonderful story, but that's not why I'm telling you about Rosalie Fish. Rather, here's why I'm telling you. While attending a basketball game in the off-season when she was at... Um, uh, Muckleshoot High, uh, and, that, and by the way, Muckleshoot High is one, grades, grades 1 through 12, so it's an all-compassing school, okay? Um, early on, when she started the, at, the, at Muckleshoot, uh, she was at a basketball game in off-season for her for track, and she went into the restroom of the school, and the visiting um, people from the visiting school had um, written and painted graffiti in the restroom of, of the Muckleshoot School. Um, they had written horrible things in graffiti about Native Americans, including calling them Indian savages and Indian drunks. Now that experience in racism, because um, even Rosalie um, in an interview admits that she passes, so that means she can be mistaken for white color person, um, that experience in racism caused her to think more about how Native Americans are stereotyped and how they're marginalized in our society. And what she wanted to do, part of what drove her as a runner, was the knowledge that she had a responsibility as a stereotype, excuse me, as a role model for younger Native American people, humans. This, by the way, is partly what idealists do. They realize they have a responsibility towards the world. Now, that's not the only reason I'm telling you about um, Rosalie Fish. Um, but because she wanted to be a role model, she aspired that she would be the best runner in the state of Washington. But her grit and determination didn't stop there. 
Not at all. You see, at last year's Boston Marathon, another, another Native American woman comp- competed in that marathon in Boston. That Native American woman's name is Jordan Marie Daniel. And in the 2019 Boston Marathon, Jordan ran with a red handprint painted over her mouth. Now, we are talking, it looks like somebody dabbed, and very well maybe Jordan, dabbed her hand in red, red paint and put it across her face. Very, very obvious. And on a Jordan's leg, she had painted the letters MMIW, which stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Now, you understand um, that Jordan did this because there's an epidemic of indigenous women, Native American women, who go missing, um, both here in the United States and in Canada. And many of them go missing because they are murdered. And many times their bodies are never found. You may recall a couple of years ago there was a, a movie, Wind River, starring Jeremy Remmer. Um, and in that movie, um, that is about a, a Native American a young woman who goes murdered, and it's a murder mystery about who caused that murder of her. And as it turns out, murder is the third leading cause of death among Native women. In Canada, Native American women are 40%, 40 times more likely to be murdered than non-Native women. I mean, this is an epidemic. And so for the Boston Marathon, um, Jordan Marie Daniel decided that she would dedicate each one of the 26 miles of the marathon to the memory, uh, memory of and in honor of a Native American woman who'd gone missing. Okay. All right. So that's something that happened. Boston Marathon, April of 2019. Rosalie Fish saw this. And it hit home because Rosalie's aunt... Alice Looney disappeared in August of 2004 when Rosalie was three years old. Um, A year later, Alice Looney's body was found without anyone ever being arrested for her murder. So Rosalie Fish, knowing this, seeing, seeing one role model, that role model being Jordan Marie Daniel in the Boston Marathon, caused Rosalie Fish to decide that she would do the same thing. Now, mind you, when she does this, she's a high school student in a tribal school. And so what um, Rosalie Fish started doing was doing the very same thing, putting a red handprint across her face, across her mouth, um, and painting the initials MMIW on her leg in red. And then Rosalie started to dedicate each, each writ race she ran to a murdered or missing woman from the Cowlitz tribe. And you know what? Rosalie Fish continued to win. So, last spring, uh, spring of 2019, she placed first in the 800 meters and the two-mile races for the state championships in Washington State. And then in the 400, she came in second, but she considered that good enough. Um, All along the way, with each race, she she reminded the world and those 
at her reservation that we need to pay attention to how Native people are treated generally and how Native American women in particular um, endure a special kind of loss and marginalization. I urge you to Google uh, the name Rosalie Fish and read about this young idealist. I hope to someday have her on this show, my producer I just winked at, so that we can all be inspired by her. And maybe my connection with Iowa might help. But regardless, Rosalie Fish, she is what idealism looks like in this country. She is what idealism looks like in this world. And you know what we need to do? We need to pay attention to that. We need to support that. We need to talk about Rosalie Fish, and we need to do everything we can to learn more about murdered and missing indigenous women. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio, about idealism, pushing the envelope, challenging you. We'll be back in a second with the big interview. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Better Futures Minnesota impacts the community by addressing root causes of poverty, homelessness, dependency on public assistance, and high rates of untreated trauma that often lead to incarceration. The lives of men served have been marked by chaos, violence, and loss, which contribute to feelings of devaluation, rage, and lost human potential. Healings from this trauma is essential before participants can succeed as workers, fathers, and responsible community members. Learn how you can support our efforts at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. We're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Um, you know, uh, again, please go check out uh, Rosalie Fish. Go just Google her, as I said at the end of last segment. You will not be uh, disappointed by reading about such an inspirational human. And now, talking about inspirational humans, inspirational organizations, I have on the line with us for the big interview, I have Jessica Greb from, I think it's Racine, Wisconsin. Jessica, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Jessica, I'm having you on the show because you are, um, I think, the founder, if not the founder, one of the architects of an organization is, I believe, again, out of Racine, uh, Orchestrating Good, the name of the organization. Do I have that right? You are correct. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. And Jessica, I'll tell you, the, the reason I'm talking to you is over the holidays, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you may not know this about me, but I'm a news junkie. I get, I, you know, I'll just sit on my bed sometimes and just for 45 minutes take in all kinds of news feeds and figure out 
whether there are some things there that are of interest to me around this topic of idealism. And I saw a news feed come through about you and some of your colleagues from Orchestrating Good um, going to a restaurant, uh, again, I believe in Racine, and um, giving a a server there, a, a female woman server there, um, $100 each from your group. So it turned out to, what, 1300 bucks? Do I have that right? You are correct, yes. Okay, all right. So that's how you got on my radar. I'm like, whoa, this is kind of cool. And I know most recently, holiday season, we've been seeing a number of people that have been doing this, going to restaurants and giving servers, you know, that kind of money. I mean, in my personal view is why couldn't we do that all year round? But, but nonetheless, and so you got on my radar that way. And so can you tell us what is orchestrating good and how did it come about? Well, first of all, I'm just really excited that you heard about us through that story. Um, We did not intend for it to grab the audience that it did um, when we did do that, and we're so encouraged that it actually reached people across the ocean, and we're hearing um, that we've been able to inspire a lot of people um, as a result of that. And the mission component to Orchestrating Good is to collaborate with our communities and to compose, recognize, and support the good that's happening all around us. Okay, well, and you and I have that in common, okay, because um, uh, I have a saying, when I do my training on human inclusivity, I say, you know, I talk to people, I say, if you go on Twitter right now for just five minutes, it looks like all we do is hate each other. And frankly, what I'm finding through my training, as my listeners have heard multiple times, is that I think that we're all, we all care about each other way more than anybody thinks. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt, without a doubt. I think I think when you give people the opportunity to make a choice, um, you're gonna. I think they're gonna choose good. So, how did orchestrating good come about, and how long has it been around? So, um, it's only been around a little over four months, which is kind of crazy to me. But really, it, it all evolved um, with me turning forty years old this past summer, and. Um, my husband had been asking, you know, where do you want to go for a trip? How are we going to celebrate? And I, I reflected on how blessed I have been um, in my life and thought, you know, I can I can go on a trip at, you know, any time. And I see my friends not as often as I'd like, but we could pull that together pretty quickly. Like, I want to do something a little bit different. So um, I have worked for a nonprofit and volunteered at other nonprofits for the past 20 years and had a real soft spot in my heart for all of the little ones, um, especially that don't get the visibility that some of the others do. So I wanted to go out and compose 40 good deeds in a single day. Um, and so I gathered seven of my closest girlfriends that have influenced me in my life and, um, and planned a, a day to do that and didn't tell them what we were doing. You didn't tell your friends what you were, go- what you were going to do? No, I, I love a great surprise. I, I did tell them, uh, you know, to, I'll have a shirt for them to wear. Um, you know, we're all going to be, I rented a big van and had someone drive us. Didn't tell the driver where we were going, just would give them an address as we went throughout the day. And then um, I'd become great friends with a local filmmaker and had reached out to him earlier in the spring and thought this is something that I want to videotape and have a memory of. Um, so him and another um, cameraman spent the day with us um, filming everything that we did so that we would have that. Okay, 
And so this this was four months ago that you you did this forty good yes, deeds in a day. And so, yep, what were we the did this what, in August? Okay, what were the forty good deeds? Give us an idea of some of those deeds. Um, not all of them were working directly with nonprofits, but a good handful of them were. So, there's nonprofits in every community. Um, there's thousands of them if you really start looking. And yep. what I wanted to do is reach out to some of them that I'd had worked with or had heard about, and I learned more and figured out ways for us to be able to interact with them on this day, one of which is a nonprofit um, called Feather and Nest, and they work with local homeless shelters to um, place furniture in homes for people who are transitioning from homelessness into housing. So we had the opportunity to go to a house and help them bring in the furniture, set it up for the individual that was going to be calling that place home. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so we, we did a, a lot of different things throughout the day, and how we got to 40 um, was I had some cards made up, and I, I am working on having more, so I'll be able to pass them out to the public. But I think we can all do a better job looking at the good that's happening, like I said, every day around us. And since I've decided to shift my focus to this, I, I see so much of it all the time, and it's in, in little subtle ways. And I think when we have the opportunity to tell someone thank you for doing something good or thank you for what you did made me feel a certain way, I think I think we should pause and take the time to do that. So these cards, um, I had put uh, $10 in each of these cards and asked the girls, I, I gave them all a handful of them and asked them to um, walk. Our, we've spent some of the time in Milwaukee um, and asked them to walk the city and look for people doing good and talk to them about it. Okay. Uh, phenomenal idea. Just a really great idea. We've got just uh, about 30 seconds here. Can you uh, let our listeners know how big is Racine? How large is the metropolitan area so we can get an idea of, of what you're working with in that community? Uh, that's a that's a really great question, and I don't know that I have the the answer for it. I'd have to check it out. But we are, if you are familiar with the size of Milwaukee, um, we're we're pretty similar in size per um, as far as people count is considered. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we can figure that out. All right. Well, listen, um, we're, uh, Jessica, we're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, I want to learn more about orchestrating good and a little bit more about why you're such an idealist. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. So, listeners, we've been speaking with Jessica Greb from uh, Orchestrating Good, an organization, a startup organization, barely, barely brand new um, out of Racine, Wisconsin. Um, if you like what you hear um, about this show, please um, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Um, you know, I love to hear from you, so email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at elliekrug and follow me on Instagram at elliejkrug. And so, um, and when we come back, we'll do a little bit more speaking with Jessica. Thanks. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. 
This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. And we're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Um, okay, we've been speaking with Jessica Greb um, from Racine, Wisconsin. We have that established. And uh, she is with an organization. She is the founder and um, executive director of Orchestrating Good, a um, soon-to-be nonprofit um, out of Racine, Wisconsin, where uh, Jessica and some of her colleagues in the community are going to work are working with nonprofits and other organizations to highlight the good in the world. I have all that correct, right, Jessica? You sure do. Okay. So give us an idea of some of the, you, I mean, you, you've only been around since uh, August of 2019. Give us an idea of some of the other things that you have done. Um, other than you're handing out your cards, you know, with $10 in to highlight people that have done good and then helping, um, uh, with uh, setting up a house for somebody who isn't going into transitional living. Um, you're, you're, and, oh, and by the way, before we do anything further, why don't you let the audience know what your website location is so that they can go check out Orchestrating Good. So our website is orchestratinggood.org, and you can access um, all of our video content on there, and you can also see us on Facebook. Okay, and Facebook is the same uh, same title? Orchestrating Good. Okay, great. All right, Thank so you. I did go on your website, and I did look at some things. I mean, for example, you did something with a haunted house in uh, Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin. What was that all about? Sure. So um, the, a member of our local community had reached out to me and said, you know, I know that in Racine we have what we call COP houses, and they're um, community-oriented policing. So there are police officers that are stationed at these houses throughout the city um, in kind of some rough neighborhoods. And those houses are there to help build trust within the community and have relationships with those who live there with the police. And for the past couple of years, this particular house, had the, the men in the house had been um, putting together a haunted house for all of the children in the neighborhood. So these were the poli- these were the police officers who were doing that? Yes, okay. they did that. So, okay. yep, so they would they organized this haunted house and from what I understood it initially hearing they just would go out, out and they'd, you know, work with other individual organizations in the community to, you know, solicit some support with candy and pumpkins and really give these kids um a fall Halloween traditional experience that they probably typically wouldn't have if they didn't do this for them. Okay. So yeah, I thought it, I thought it was remarkable that these guys took it upon themselves. This isn't their day job to do this. Um, but they just really, you could just tell they really care about our community. And so we wanted to, a lot of what we do is through, um, visual storytelling through, um, either photograph or video and, 
we were able to um, spend some time with them that day and take some video and tell that story a little bit so that the public knew what was happening in their neighborhoods. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. And then on your website, there's another one that really uh, uh, grabbed me was on your website, you've got the story about what you call a sign flipper, um, a gentleman Mm -hmm. who uh, stood at an intersection and would sell during uh, different times of the day, would sell water and pop and chips to people stopped in their cars at what? Was it a traffic light or a stop sign? Yep. So he he positioned himself um, on Martin Luther King and State Street here in Racine. And um, the our local newspaper had run an article on him early in the summer. And um, a friend of mine had shared that with me a little bit a while later. And can when I, I watched the can video... I, can I stop you? What is the gentleman's name? Sure. His name is Edward. Okay, great. Go ahead. We'll talk about Edward. Thanks. Go ahead. Sure. So, so... Um, as I read the article about Edward and they had done a small video, I saw that he was transporting all of his items with a baby stroller. His coolers looked to be, you know, not in the best of shape. And I started asking around and learning more about him. And from what I understood, everybody, it seemed like I was the last person who knew who Edward was, but everybody was uh, had wonderful things to say about him and said they stopped by him frequently or take a detour just to drive past him. He's just an encouraging person and all he's doing, you know, and he's trying to show his boys um, what a hard day's work looks like um, for him. So I don't know his story. I don't know, you know, how he got to the place he's at. But what I do know is that he is making a lot of people smile in this community and he's doing something good. And I think sometimes we need to meet people where they are. And it might not be what I think he should be doing, but it is. Hmm. But I need to meet him where he is because he's doing a great job, and I want to encourage him to continue. So, so um, go ahead. Yep. No. So we so we thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna surprise him and give him some new coolers and a cart and stock him up with some supplies, um, and, and dig a little deeper into his story and understand, you know, why he is continuing to do this work. And so that's what we did. And you have a wonderful video of, I mean, you and your colleagues going to this gentleman, surprising him with multiple coolers. I mean, I, I was thinking, how does he get them all there on a daily basis now? But, um, and and food and and some money and a cash box that because he, he was using a cardboard box to store his um, proceeds and all that stuff. And it, it's a wonderful video. It it and it and I love that you are doing kind of videography and photography to document what it is that other people doing good are doing. I mean, we're a society of storytellers and listeners, and certainly we're very visual. So I think that that's very great. Well, thank you. And we, we feel the same way. Um, we're inspired by what we see and what we hear and what we experience. And by not doing, by not videotaping these moments or not, you know, taking the time to document these stories and share them, I think it's just much harder to to inspire and and really resonate with people. And we're just our our you know our patience and our attention span is so short these days with yep. the world just moving so quickly. So to be able to get in front of somebody with you know photograph or a, a, a short video to tell that story, um, I, we we believe that that is the way to go and the best way to get these stories out there. 
So you're the proponent of orchestrating good, and you've got um, some of your um, friends who are your board members. Do I have that right? Correct. Okay. And uh, you're working on your 501c3. You're hoping that you'll have that within the next couple of months, right? I'm hoping so, yes. Okay, all right. Well, just hang in there. Okay, it'll happen. And um, just takes persistence with the government to get that that status. Trust me, I've done a couple in, of nonprofits. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, it does. So, Patience. So we have about um, three minutes left. And I, so I want to talk about you, Jessica, okay? Why are mm-hmm. you an idealist? What, you know, what came about in your background? I mean, it is not a given that on your 40th birthday you would decide, I'm going to pivot and do something different. So you talked a little bit about having been in the nonprofit world, but that doesn't necessarily make for idealists. What, I mean, was there somebody in your, in your life as you were growing up? Did you have some experience of kindness by another human? What made you an idealist? It is a combination of so many things when I reflect back, and I think a lot of it starts with, you know, I had a grandmother who worked very hard and things did not come easy, but her doors were always open to anyone that needed a place to have a meal or just have a conversation. And she didn't have a lot. Um, her house wasn't huge by any means, but that the, the, the rooms were packed every holiday and, and at random times throughout the year. And so I think seeing that early on, um, I, I was encouraged to ask questions and talk with people. And then as I went throughout my life and had the opportunity to work in some corporate positions as well as nonprofit positions, I was able to see the world from both sides and how we can do a better job supporting nonprofits and how um, potentially nonprofits can do a better job um, telling their story so that they can get more support. I think, you know, having tremendous leaders um, that I've worked alongside throughout my career, they they are the ones that led with their heart and always put the needs of others ahead of their own. And I was fortunate to have some of those amazing people in my life support me and tell me the truth when it hurt a little uh, and remind me that it's important to influence rather than direct and to focus more on people and numbers and don't forget to have some fun while you're at it. Well, and certainly from the website, it looks like you and your colleagues are having fun. And so, you know, that's a great thing. Have you gotten any pushback? I mean, you're, you know, you're doing a new idea. You're going forward. Have you gotten any pushback from anybody about this? I think that the pushback that we get, I mean, I see the challenges as opportunities and we're still wrapping our minds around the best way to tell the stories that we're fortunate to be a part of. But it's tricky when we want to recognize good because there are people that shy away from wanting recognition because hmm. they're fearful of what others are going to think of them. And our goal is to change that mindset and for people to see recognition as inspiration. Ah. Because if we, don't, if we don't recognize the incredible work being done by telling these stories, how can we possibly inspire others? And the same goes for composing. If you can't see or hear about something, how do you become informed and take action? Well, Jessica, I've got to tell you, we're, we're out of time, but I have so much enjoyed speaking to you. And um, I just want to tell you, from one idealist to another, keep it up, okay? Persistence is the key. 
and using your imagination. And it looks like you've got both of those down, you and your colleagues. So I just want to compliment you. I also want to let you know if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. All right? We appreciate your support so much. Thank you, Ellie. All right. Well, you're welcome. So, listeners, we've been speaking to Jessica Greb from Orchestrating Good out of Racine, Wisconsin. Go to their website at orchestratinggood.org. Check them out. See if you can support them. They do take donations. When we come back from the break, I'm going to do my C block, talk a little bit about my work, and talk about um, what idealists do or don't do. Thanks. Better Futures Minnesota is a social enterprise which helps men achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. We need your help. By donating time or funds to our cause, you can support us and promote a healthier environment. By hiring our deconstruction crews for your next residential or commercial project and shopping or donating building materials or appliances to our reuse retail warehouse, you are supporting Better Futures Minnesota and your community. Please visit BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn more. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. We're back on AM 950, Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay, Jessica Grab, you know, she's a brand new, you know, learning from the straps up uh, uh, executive director of a fledgling nonprofit orchestrating good. Um, but you know what? I love the concept. I love the idea of going out and highlighting people who are doing good. I, I probably need to do more of that myself. Um, although I think, Partly, I do that through the show. Just saying. Okay. All right. Well, we're in my C block here, um, where I talk about my work as an idealist, or or at least alternately tell you what's on my idealistic mind. So I've got a couple of things to share with you, and not a whole lot of time to do it. First of all, I'm happy to report that after a five-week break, which was, on the one hand, nice. On the other hand, if you're a speaker and trainer, five weeks is a long time to go without doing that work. After a five-week break, I am back to speaking and training. I am. (laughs) I've uh, given my gray area thinking human inclusivity training at several churches so far this year. And tonight, I will be doing a Transgender 101 talk for some educators in Anoka. If you know anything about the Anoka Community School District, you know that that work is very much needed. And it feels good to be back, um, particularly um, at this time now when so many things seem to be beyond our control. So now I'm kind of doubling back to what I talked about at the beginning of the show. You know, um, because um, it, 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 it seems like there's a lot of things that are beyond our control right now. 
And so for me, when I'm doing my speaking, when I'm standing up in front of audiences, when I'm sharing ideas about how we can be better to each other, when I'm sharing ideas about how to be more inclusive of people, inclusivity simply is making people feel as if they matter, as if they're of value. At least when I'm doing that, standing in front of audiences, I feel like I am, I am somewhat more in control and I certainly feel like I'm trying to do good in the world, okay? And, you know, people do like my work, so not that we need to get into that. But having said that, <clears throat> all of that takes me back to Rosalie Fish, um, who I spoke about, who was our featured idealist in the first segment of this show. I don't usually double back to those featured idealists, but I've got to tell you, I am so taken by this young woman and by her bravery and her courage um, that I, I, need to, I need to talk about her a little bit more, okay? Um, because I, you know, I, I highlighted a couple of stories um, about her, but I also did a bunch, I did some research about her, and I came across a video interview that she gave after the state track meet where she won all of those medals. Remember, she took first place in a couple of races, the two-mile, and I think it was the 800-meter, and second in the 400. And what this interview was, the interview caught her in her track outfit, the red hand across her face, um, uh, caught her holding a placard with the medals taped, draped over, you know, the placard. And, and, under, and, and the placard was divided in different columns. And each column had the name and a little bit of the story of the missing or murdered indigenous woman that Rosalie had dedicated the race for. Okay, now, so we, we've got an idealist, okay, who, who is walking the walk, and she is holding this plaque. It's after her race. There are people coming up to her, people with tears in their eyes, people thanking her for being um, who she is. And this guy, you know, the uh, um, correspondent comes up and he talks to her. And one of the things that he did, and this is why I'm telling you the story, one of the questions that he asked her, <clears throat> was um, uh, had she requested permission from the school to begin wearing the red handprint, the red hand um, across her face? Did she ask for permission to do that before she started showing up at track meets with that red hand across her mouth and uh, with the MMIW written in red on her thigh? Her reply back <laughs> was no. She hadn't asked for permission. And she had instead just started doing it. Like Jordan Murray Daniel that I talked about who had done that in the Boston Marathon in April of 2019. And Rosalie Fish went on to say that the reason that she did not ask for permission was that she did not want to give anybody an opportunity to tell her no. The takeaway from that, I mean, I, you, please, um, and I, uh, you know, uh, I will try and endeavor to include the link of that interview in our, on our website when... on our website when uh, we go to um, 
uh, when this goes to podcast, I'll try and include the link for that because I think the interview of this young woman is just phenomenal. But the reason I'm telling you about this is that idealists, true idealists, don't ask for permission. They don't. They just simply do it. And... Um, and I cannot stress enough about that. I mean, I, we, I just you know, interviewed Jessica Greb from Orchestrating Good. She didn't ask anybody's permission to go and start this organization. In fact, you, you heard the story about her saying, I, I brought my girlfriends along on my 40th birthday. I just told them we're going to do something uh, special about 40 good deeds in one day. I mean, she didn't even tell them that she was doing that. That was her plan. She didn't ask for their permission. She just said, we're going to go do this. And that's the thing about idealists, is idealists, we do not ask for permission. We just come forward and we do that. Now, why am I talking about this? Why did I highlight about this? Um, I did this, I do this because here we go. Last week, and I don't you know, want to overemphasize this, I talked about the need in October of 2020 that we need to get into the streets. Um, I may have been wrong about the timing on that. We may need to be in the streets um, now. We may need to be in the streets here in January of 2020. We don't need anybody's permission to go into the streets. We don't. But we darn well, very well, may need to be in the streets, letting our government and our elected leaders and other people know that what's going on in our country right now is totally and completely unacceptable. That's what idealists do. We just show up. Okay, I've run out of time. I don't have any more time to talk about that, but you've got the sense, and you know how serious I am about this. Okay, I need to thank uh, the sponsors for this show, uh, Brending Electrolysis. Tell uh, Bev Brending that I said hello. She does great work and Better Futures Minnesota. We are looking for more sponsors. If you run an organization or a company, if you'd like to sponsor the show, please do that. I would really, really like that. Reach out to me at lejkrug at gmail.com. Also, I want to do a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who always makes this sound so incredibly good, even when I screw up. And I want to thank you, my listeners. Um, I'm hearing from you across the, across the world, actually, that you like this show. Tell others about it. I'll be back next week. In the meantime, do good, be well, and believe in the goodness of humans. Thanks. Thanks.